You can take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. You know, every single one of us have seasons where we just doubt the power of the gospel. I can remember um, I had just finished up speaking at a camp in the North Woods of Wisconsin. It was, uh, it was actually for a staff training week, and so that meant that I was speaking somewhere between 10 and 20 times, and I was doing all sorts of sessions. And I had a friend who uh, was getting ordained down in St. George, Utah, and so uh, I did most of my sessions. I crammed them in somewhere like a Friday afternoon. I took the last flight out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, to Las Vegas, and it was through the night, it was a red eye, and I just, um, I was just beat. I just, I had already spoken my 25,000 words for the day and the week and whatever, right? And I'm sitting there, and there's just an empty space next to me, and I, I just thought, this is too good to be true. I mean, it's just, it, it, I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it's just too good to be true, and you know what, there was, I was looking, I was on the aisle seat, and I could look all the way down the aisle, and, and in walks a man, and he's kind of a, a bubbly kind of character, gregarious, I mean, just talking to everyone, rather tall, rather big, and I, I just thought, yeah, he's sitting by me, I just know it, he's just, and there he's walking, I'm just, I'm just like waiting, you know, you just kind of get uptight, you're like, no, just, just, just go in, go in, go in, go in, and then he's coming closer, you're like, go past, go past, go past. <laughs> And he sits right down next to me, and he just starts talking. I mean, he's just talking, and I'm just staring. I've already said all my words. I, I'm just staring, and we get up to cruising altitude, and we, he's, just, he's just talking. And he goes, so what do you do for a living? And I, I just I have a phrase usually when I'm, on, when I'm on the plane. I say, well, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That kind of, this kind of puts a lot of different parameters and it just gets us set really quick. And I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes, really? <laughs> and it's really loud. I mean, everyone around us can hear all this. He goes, are you Protestant or Catholic? And I said, well, technically neither, but from your perspective, Protestant. He goes, I know everything there is to know about Catholics and Protestants. I grew up Catholic, and I went to a Protestant university, and I took all the classes. Ah, rah, 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 rah. And I'm just staring. I'm seriously, I'm just like. And then out of the blue, I mean, really, I've said nothing. I've said nothing. He goes, you know, Martin Luther should have left the Roman Catholic Church. I'm like, all right. Because of all those indulgences, but he goes, he goes like this, but you know, so much has changed. I mean, Catholics and Protestants, they're just the same thing. Don't you think so? <laughs> I, I go, well, uh, Martin Luther left the Roman Catholic Church because of what was written in the book of Romans and Galatians. Have you ever read the book of Galatians? And he looked at me. And he gets so upset. I mean, he just gets mad. I mean, it's like this weird, like, wham, wham. And then he turns from talking to me, and he turns to the person on the other side of me, and he starts talking about me in that same voice. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, I just asked one question. And now people in front are turning back and looking at me. And the people on the aisle are just kind of giving me the eye. And I know people behind me are saying something because my, my, my scalp is itching. You know, I just know. I'm just sitting there, and I don't know what you do when you're like just awkwardly embarrassed. I just started laughing. I'm serious. I didn't know what else to do. I just like, ha, 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 
circumstance. And I'm sitting in my chair, and I thought, how many more things do people have to say to a Christian before they shut up? Like, how many times does a person have to be hit before they lose heart? I think sometimes in our pluralistic society, we just, we just wonder, is the message of Christ sufficient? Sometimes in our Utah, Utah context, we just hear so many different things, and we're like, is, is the message of Christ enough? Can, can I just tell you, being a real Christian in our Western, Western culture is not becoming easier. It used to be in the United States of America that, that maybe it was, it was good to be in vocational ministry where it was just what you did, it, but, but it's not becoming more financially beneficial to be a Christian. Did you know that? In fact, to be an outspoken Christian in our secular society is frowned upon. To preach the exclusivity of Jesus Christ in the Bible is the quickest way to be labeled intolerant and a bigot. I think Christians are tempted to question a life of intentional ministry. Is, is a Christian ministry worth all the trials and all the hardships that come with it? Is the message of Christ sufficient today? You see, the question I want us to ask is, how can we live a life of ministry in a culture that redefines truth and undermines scriptural authority and tra- challenges everything? I mean, how do we communicate the sufficiency of Christ alone for salvation? Thankfully, we have Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, we're not going to go there, but later on in this book that we're going to be preaching from, he just talks about all that he faced. He, he talks about the imprisonments, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the hunger, the sleepless nights, the constant pressure regarding the health of the churches. And on top of this, we, if you were to dig into the, the book of Corinthians, you'd realize that false teachers are incessantly opposing him. I mean, they're attacking Paul. They're saying he's weak. He's dishonest. He's a corrupter of God's word. If anyone had reason to lose heart, it was Paul. But his response was not to commend themselves. But actually, he reminds the Corinthian believers of what God had done in their life, how that their testimony, the change of God in their life, was actually a letter of recommendation authenticating his ministry. And so in this backdrop, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul declares what true ministry should look like in the midst of a hostile environment and reminds us that the message of Christ is sufficient. If we were just to make this super simple this morning, I'd break it down into two points. It's this, that we must have a ministry that's authentic, or you could say transparent, and we must declare a message that exalts Christ. To put it into a sentence, to live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ or a culture, we must have a ministry that's authentic and a message that exalts Jesus Christ. Why don't you look at verses 1 through 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. Let's read them together. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world had blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness is shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So to live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ to our culture, we must have a ministry that's authentic and a message that exalts Christ. So let's look at that first point. We must have a ministry that is authentic. We see this in verse 1 and 2. Our culture is no longer asking, is Christianity true? That kind of question moved on with modernity. If they're asking any question, they're asking, is Christianity real? You see, we're living in an era of hyper-suspicion and data overload. I mean, anyone with a keyboard can go fund me a conspiracy. Anyone with a blog can call somebody else a bigot. Everyone has their own opinion. I mean, have you ever heard? I mean, I, even in, in the realm of sports, I was just, I, I like an English soccer club. It's called Liverpool. And I was reading some article, and this person's giving all their opinions and I, I just keep on scrolling down I keep on scrolling down and the very end this this person who's writing the blog is still in high school I'm like what do they know about Liverpool you see anyone with a keyboard can somehow sound important and I've got my opinion and they've got their opinion and I've got my opinion about your opinion and you've got your opinion about my opinion of your opinion and soon our culture is swirling. I mean, how many of you have ever been in any of the circumstances that have unfolded over the past three years? How many of you have wondered, who can you trust? How many of you have wondered that? You ever turn to a news station and you, you watch that? And you're like, ah, and you turn back to the other news station. And you're like, ah, who can you trust? And let me tell you something. Our culture is that way towards us. I mean, just the, the culture around us, they're like, well, that's a cutesy little church building, but I don't know if I can trust them. You see, they're not asking, is it real? Because what, what their opinion is, is probably real. And what your opinion is real. And what your opinion over there is real. And that's why Christians must have an authentic ministry. It must be transparent. It just ha must have something of truthiness to it because people aren't asking, is it true? They're asking, is it real? They want to know, is it authentic? Authentic ministry is possible because, well, first of all, we receive this ministry from God. So, so this ministry from God, you notice what he does in verse one. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, in fact, that therefore is there because of what happened in chapter 1 and 2. And in chapter 1 and 2, we see in verse 1 that it says this in verse 1, chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. But then in, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, For we are not like so many others, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, this ministry that's been given to us is from God. It is not a ministry about ourselves. Later on, verse 5, he says, We preach not ourselves. We are tempted to lose heart or become frightened and respond with cowardice when we forget that the ministry we have is from God. You see, if this is all about you, you have a lot to be afraid of. But this is sent actually a commission from God, then it's an opportunity for us to represent God. This ministry that we have must be authentic, but it's possible because it's from God. It's not about ourselves. You know, in the middle of this, Paul's being attacked by all these false teachers. And does Paul need to defend himself? No, look back to verse 1 of chapter 3. He, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? 
Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? He, he's saying, as, as all these people are attacking him, and they're, they're saying, well, I don't know if, if Paul really is an apostle. I don't know if Paul really has a word from God. I, I just don't know. And Paul's like, well, let me tell you something. I don't need to defend myself. And he says, the reason why I don't need to defend myself is because look at all of you. Verse 2 and 3, he says, For you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with the ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. He's saying, I, I, I'm not going to defend myself. I just want you to see the authenticity of this message by what God has done in your life through this word. He's basically saying this, I couldn't change your life, but God did. I don't have the power, this isn't about me. But look what God did in your life. How many of you remember what life was like before you became a true, a true believer in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? How many of you remember what your life was like? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are different people? Raise your hand. Aren't you glad this is not some message contrived by some man, but this is actually a message from God that works life? In fact, he goes on, look, verse 4, such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And this ministry that's not really about us results in new life. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And what he begins to do is he starts talking kind of to some of the Jewish components of his audience. And he's saying, okay, so you revere the Old Testament, and you revere the Old Covenant, and, and you're just so thankful that God gave you this word, the, 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 the Ten Commandments. He gave you the law. And, and what he begins begins to do is he begins to compare them. He says the new covenant reveals the mysteries of God that were just a little bit foggy or obscure in the old covenant. The old covenant was the letter of the law. It was a ministry of death. You know, if you break the law, you deserve to die. It was a letter of condemnation. It was tablets of stone. But he says this new word from God is of the spirit and its ministry of, it gives a ministry of life and freedom and it softens heart and it's unveiled for all to see. The new covenant brings life, produces righteousness, is permanent, brings hope is clear, is energized by the Spirit and transforming because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says, you look back and you hold all those things dear. So much more should you hold the revelation of Jesus even closer. Translated in another translation, verse 9 says this, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? You know what Paul tells us in Romans 3? He says, for by the works of righteousness, no person, by the deeds of the law, will no person be made righteous. 
You see, the law was given to us so that every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. Do you understand that? There's none righteous, no, not one. And the law has no capacity to save. The law only shows us that we're sinners. How many of you ever wake up in the morning feeling like a loser? How many of you ever wish you did more? How many of you wish that you were just a little bit better? Okay, I've got a question for you. Have you ever wondered why the suicide rate or attempted female suicide in, in Utah is, is the greatest per capita than anywhere else in the nation? Can I tell you why? Because the law doesn't save. You can't do enough to save yourself, but Jesus did it all. <laughs> and through Christ, you can be saved. We were preaching, I was preaching in a sister church over in West Valley, and there was this lady, and she was just all smiles. And, and I, I'm like, I got to go talk to her. Well, Christy must have seen her while she was doing music or something, because Christy and I triangulated on this lady. I mean, here we are. We're like, okay, what's your secret? You know, what are you on, missus? And we start talking to her, and, and she just, she just, uh, she's just all smiles. She'd come to know Jesus Christ uh, a few years earlier, right in that church, and she'd grown up in a, in a religious background, and yet she just knew there was more. She knew she couldn't keep the law. She knew she couldn't do enough, and, and so she drifted in this little church that just preaches the Bible, and, and she and her friend came in and asked the pastor. They said, can we do a little Bible study? We just want to know Jesus more, and this pastor, he goes, let's do a Bible study through Romans. Go big or go home, right? And so they start going through this Bible study, and God starts working these ladies' hearts. Well, the friend that came with the lady that Christy and I were talking to, she began to realize the cost. She began to realize that if, if she really came to faith in trusting Jesus Christ alone for her salvation, not trusting in her tradition or her church or background, I mean, there would be a whole lot to pay for it, and she wasn't ready to pay that. But this lady that Christy and I were talking to, she trusted in Jesus Christ alone for her salvation. Well, she said, I did have a lot to pay. My husband left me. I lost my job. All sorts of problems. That friend I was with, it was like everyone disowned me. She said, I ran, and then she kind of interrupted her story. She goes, but I ran into my friend the other day in the, in the, in the grocery store. That, that one that started the Bible study that dropped off, she said, as we were talking, this, this lady, my friend, she said, but I feel like you died. And this lady that Christy and I were talking to, she goes, she said, she said and this is what I told my friend, she goes, I did die. But I've been raised with Christ. And now I'm alive. You see, but Christ, Colossians 3, but Christ who is our life. You see, in the middle of this, this world, in the middle of our culture, in the middle of what's swirling about us, our, our culture's saying, I don't, I don't know, is, is Christ really sufficient? I mean, really, is Jesus enough? And I say he is. And I say that his ministry is possible, yet we must have a ministry that's authentic and it's possible because we've received this ministry from God. This, this ministry is not about ourselves. It results in new life and it's a manifestation of God's mercy. I mean, go, go back to our original text, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, and we went backwards and we talked what was in chapter 2 and 3. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. You see, we should ask ourselves, why is my heart not hardened? Why is my heart open to the teachings of Jesus Christ? Why is this? It's because we've received mercy. 
And Paul, he gets it. He said in, in 1 Timothy 1, he says, though formerly, remember, as a Judaizer, he goes, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm foremost, but I received mercy for this reason. Can I tell you why people love religion? People love religion because they don't want to admit that they're sinners. You see, religion at the very core is saying, I'm not that bad, and somehow there's a kernel in me, I can do better, and somehow I can obtain or be exalted, and one day I can, I can rule over others. At the very core of religion is a belief that I'm not that bad, and I can just work hard, and I can try harder. That's what Paul was doing, remember? He was the best of the best Pharisee. I mean, he was like, he was a Benjamite. I mean, this guy was awesome. I mean, he was just turning, churning it up. I mean, he was just going doing whatever he could but it wasn't enough because ultimately it was all about self ultimately it was about the fact that he's pretty good but no listen to what paul says in ephesians 2 he says okay you're born dead in your trespasses and sins and then in verse 4 but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us titus 3 paul says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy and by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of his spirit. And even in the context of our passage here, verse 17 and 18 of chapter 3, but now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, this ministry is a manifestation of God's mercy. We should ask ourselves, why were we not born in Istanbul? Why were we not born in Calcutta? Why were you born in a, in a context where you could hear the word of God? This manifestation of God's mercy should cause us to ask ourselves, why was our heart not hardened? It should cause us to remember that we've been shown mercy. You see, neither Paul's calling as an apostle nor his competency to serve in that role nor his conversion by which he came to Christ had anything to do with his own efforts or his own resources. I mean, he's just such a massive recipient of God's mercy. You see, when you faint, you'll faint with a little bit of opposition. If it's all about you, you don't have the strength. You don't have the capacity. If this is all about you, then, then of course it's going to fade with, with one, little, one little poke of a guy on an airplane, one little neighbor looking down on you, one little write-up on good neighbor online, one little thing, and soon your hope just, just fades away. One commentator, Sam Storms, he said this about this passage. If you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift... There will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Should I read that again? If you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift, 
There will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Do, do you see what he's doing there? You see, if this is all about me, right? If this is all about me, like, let me start one, one perspective all about me. If, if somehow I have the goodness, or I, I, I somehow had the righteousness in me, and I'm all, I'm all Mr. Busy Beaver, Mr. Religion, and I'm like, oh, one little poke of opposition, and I began to fade. Or, or if it's all about, like, I'm going to get this reward. I'm, I'm doing these things because of it's going to be really good and everyone's going to like me and I can't wait to serve because it's all about me. If you think that your position in the kingdom of God is somehow a reward rather than a gift, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. No, we can have a ministry we can have a ministry that just exalts the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, but it must be authentic. But it can because it's from God and it results in new life and is a manifestation of mercy. Yes, authentic ministry is possible because it's from God, but authentic ministry is visible when we practice this ministry with integrity. So we know we have to have a ministry that's authentic. We know it's possible because it's from God, but we know it's visible when we practice this ministry with integrity. Our ministry must be authentic. Keep looking at our text. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. It's like we're just not going to mess with the book. We're not going to say what we want it to say. Have you ever met somebody who made some point and they just, they kind of read, they just read a verse totally out of context and they said it meant something? We just had a group here uh, from out of the state and they were talking with somebody and they were saying something from the Old Testament and they took a, a verse and they kind of said, this is what this verse means. And um, my brain was kind of spinning. Oh, we actually were talking with you, Danny. My brain was spinning. I'm like, That's, no, there's an easy one. This is an easy one. And Danny goes, just keep reading the chapter. And sure enough, you just read the rest of the chapter and it's like crystal clear what it means. It has nothing to mean what that person said. But when a person takes a verse out of context and they manipulate God's word to say what they want it to say, look what, he, look what Paul calls them. We refuse to practice cunning, to tamper with God's word. Back in verse 17 of chapter 2, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God inside of God, we speak in Christ. Paul just refuses to be connected with the message or manner of false teachers, like the disgraceful, underhanded ways, sneaky and shameful. Can I tell you, true Christians are not trying to manipulate people for their own gain. Like, if you ever smell somebody like that, seriously, like if you're watching a show and some preacher's on there and he's, and he's like, hey, you, you, you send in some dollars and I give you a little hanky, he's a charlatan. You got somebody who just takes God's word and manipulates people? Disgraceful, underhanded ways. Practice cunning, tamper with God's word. It's like mixing in something of a different essence and, and connected with the word peddlers. A couple of the commentators were talking about somebody who would get some wine or something else liquid and add a little water to it. They would dilute it. They're peddlers. They, they, they would add to their, their bottom line by, by adding 20% water. He says, no, you must be honest. And Christians, you know what? Can I tell you something? Since this is not your message, you don't have to like come up with some more stuff. 
Since this is, this is what's been given to us since the beginning of time, in the beginning, God and the systematic way that you just see the whole story of redemption through the Old Testament and then you see the New Testament, how it fits together. I'm telling you, we don't need any more. It's enough. It is sufficient. And that's why we don't have to manipulate people. We can just say, this is what the Bible says. In fact, this ministry is visible when we're, we practice the ministry with integrity by being honest, but then by being transparent. Look at verse 2. But by open, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's just saying, hey, guess what? We don't have any secret handshakes. That's what he's saying. He's saying we don't have any like stuff at level two, level three, level four. It's like, like, do you know that if you're here today and, and, you, and you, you're new to understanding what Christianity is, if you're new to understanding what the Bible says, can I tell you something? Guess what? This is all we got. I, I'm telling you, like, if, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, we don't lead you into a secret room and go like, but now we're going to tell you the rest. Do you know the best-selling book in all of the world is the Bible? And guess what? That's all we have for, for faith, life, and practice. Like Christians don't have any secret sauce. We, we don't have anything else but the Bible. That's all we have. And it's sufficient. By open statement of the truth, we, we would commend ourselves. He's saying, I just want you to know, examine us. We just want everyone to, to ask us any question. You know what I found? Um, I was just talking to some religious guy and uh, he was talking to a group I had. It was about 40 folks, and, and he was talking to them, and he, he just wasn't, it was, he was just dancing around, like, it was just weird. Like, have you ever asked somebody a question, and you're like, just give me the answer? One of the students just said, one of the students, out of the blue, I thought this was a great question. They said, so from your worldview, from your faith perspective, what's a question, or what's a concept, what's a question about your faith, or what's a concept about your faith that's forced you to doubt your faith? Is that a good question? And this guy goes, well, we all have doubts. You know, and I'm sure you've doubted. So what's your doubts? I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, just answer the question. I got the group together afterwards, and I said, that wasn't honest. I said, somebody asked me that same question. And one of them asked me that question. I said, you want to know what my hardest issue is with, with, with Christianity? The problem of evil. Oh, I know all the right answers here. But man, they hurt right here. You want to ask me more questions? I tell you, I have nothing to hide about Christianity. I have nothing to hide about Jesus. Because it's not my message. I'm just a communicator of what God says in his Bible. This is open for you to understand. This is, not, this is not only for the elites to tell you their interpretation. No, this Bible is written in such a way that you could read it and you can understand it and you can grow in your understanding of who Christ is and what he has for your life. You see, Christians must be obviously authentic. But then we also see that we must declare a message that exalts Christ. So, so really, just simply remember what I said. I, I, I said, so, so how can we communicate? How can we live in a manner that says, 
that, that Christ is sufficient, first of all, we must have a ministry that's authentic, but number two, we must declare a message that exalts Jesus Christ. Look at verse three through six. And even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. You see, the enemy... The enemy seeks to blind the hearts of the unbelievers. You see, Paul's been so open that if people don't see it, it's because they've been blinded. I mean, the gospel, are you tracking with me? This is what he's saying. The Bible is so obvious, and the message of the gospel is so clear that if you don't see the gospel and you don't, you don't understand the gospel, then the enemy has slipped in and he's blinded you. You see, even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those that are perishing. So the enemy is blinding people to the facts of the gospel. That's why in secular cultures, that's why there's such an attack through news media organizations, through the educational institution, from the judiciary. That's why they want to yank and and misinterpret the separation of uh, church and state to such an extent that they can say that, guess what? Faith is not revelatory relevant. You don't need God's word. You just need science. You just need and fill in the blank. You you can't believe that Jesus Christ died. You can't believe that he was buried and rose again. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. You know, without going into detail, how many of you have questioned a few teachings of science recently? And even our culture is. You see, it, it, they're, they're just using that as a term to to push people and blind people from the truths of the gospel. But then the enemy is blinding people to the needs of the gospel. Do you know what? Some, some, some ways that Satan blinds the, the God of this world, that's what he calls him, the God of, the God of this world to blind the minds of the unbelievers, he, he does it with just enough Jesus stuff without an authentic relationship with Jesus. How many of you have ever talked to somebody that they, like, they just talked Jesus talk, but it didn't, it didn't make any sense? Um... I was in the South. I was in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Did you know that everyone's a Christian in the South? Did you know that? I, I get done talking. Uh, I was preaching the gospel, and this good old boy, I mean, he came up to me, and he, <laughs> Brother Will, Brother Will, that was just a great message, Brother Will. It just blessed my heart. I mean, it just blessed me right here. I will said, sir, I'm glad it blessed you, but have you ever submitted yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I mean, have you ever just, you know, given your life and uh, life to Jesus and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do and, and trust in him alone to forgive you of your sin? He goes, well, Brother Will, my, my, my daddy, he was a founding member of uh, such and such Creek Baptist Church, and my, my, my uncle, he's a trustee at such and such Creek Baptist Church, and I'm just telling you right now, I mean, your message is just bless my heart. And it was such a dodge, and it was, it was such spiritual muck, that I just looked him straight in the eyes, I said, but sir, have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? You know, Brother Will, I better get going, I'll see you tonight. You know, sometimes the enemy drops just enough Christianese to inoculate Sometimes the enemy blinds with facts or just enough Christianity, but ultimately, you know what the enemy is trying to blind people from? The glory or the beauty of Christ. To keep them, he says in verse 4, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Because I'm telling you, when the glory of Christ is revealed, the battle 
is over. Seriously, how, how can you resist? I mean, that's what we know what is going to happen at the end of the age. Everyone with their hardness of heart, everyone with their false religion, everyone with their false belief, they stand before God, and guess what happens at the end of the age? Philippians 2, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, ultimately what's going on is the enemy is blinding people from the lordship of Jesus. If at the core he can give them some sort of a religion that says, I'm actually deity that just needs to work harder. If he can give them some form of a religion, oh, if you can just try harder, do better. But ultimately, what needs to happen for a person to be saved is for them to realize, no, I can't save myself. There is one king of the universe, and his name is Jesus. And there has to be a submission. A submission to Christ. That's why the enemy uses any means possible. He uses wrong thinking, false philosophy, superstition, materialism, sensual passions. He uses any means at all. And if you combine the problem of blindness with the timidity of the preacher, then their problem becomes even more grave. The preacher becomes silenced or purveyor of a watered-down text, and the issue is great. And that's why we're comforted that, that though the enemy blinds the hearts of unbelievers, God can cause the blind to see. And that's why the preacher does not go preach his own self. Let me tell you something. The, 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 the gospel of Will Galkin, Galkinese, the religion of Galkinese, ain't going to save anyone. I don't have the power. I can't save myself, let alone someone else. But God can open people's eyes. And that's what he says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, right? I, I'm not going to preach me. Well, I, I'm not going to preach myself but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Only God can do it. I'm telling you, sometimes we get discouraged looking at the news channel. We're discouraged about the United States of America. We get discouraged about some new study coming out of some elitist school somewhere in, in, in the Northeast. We get discouraged about what's going on in Utah. We get discouraged what's going on around the world and you're like i don't know it's just not going to work well if you're looking at self of course it's not going to work but think about this just like god who existed for all of eternity i mean just go to genesis 1 in the beginning god let there be light how many of you came to christ from a dark pit let there be light. And just like God said, let light shine out of darkness. He has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This creation motif, it just reminds us that only God can turn on the lights. And this should be a comfort because no one is too big for God. How many of you can think of one or two or three people that you're like, I just want them to know Jesus, but it seems like it's too hard? Let there be light. No one is beyond the love and grace of God. No one is beyond the mercy of God. And so God shines his light 
which is the glory of Christ. When God turns on the light, it's like people see the beauty of Jesus and they go in the boat like Peter and they're depart from me. I'm sinful. I, I know I, I, I can't save myself. I can't do enough works. I can't keep the law perfectly. But the beauty of Christ is so bright and so attractive, but we know the glory of Christ through the knowledge of the gospel. That, that's how we even begin to see the light is the knowledge of gospel drips into us and it goes into our mind and our heart and he uses that means, that normative means of his word being preached and we see and we believe. I mean, Paul knew what it was like to be blinded. I mean, this is no accident. Here he is. I mean, really, think about Paul on his way to Damascus. He's going to go bag a couple more Christians. He's on his way, thinking he's doing righteousness by, com- by breaking the law, committing murder. The brokenness of religion is, is obvious when God opens the heart. He's going to be right with God by committing murder. Think of this. And Jesus stops him. Lord, the light. Who are you? Jesus Christ. Let light shine out of darkness. But guess what? God does the work, but it's our responsibility to preach. And the blend of God working through preaching is such a beautiful thing. I mean, look at verse 5. That's why he said, he said, for we proclaim not ourselves. That's obvious. But what do we proclaim? Jesus Christ as Lord. And we're just your servants for Jesus' sake. We, we don't preach ourselves because we can't change anyone. We simply preach Jesus Christ the Lord. He alone is sufficient for salvation. Jesus, the incarnate Savior, the, the whole concept of Jesus is Joshua, the Old Testament. It's the deliverer. It's where salvation comes. It, it, Jesus, the one that takes away the sin of the world. I mean, this was all the prophecies being fulfilled. Jesus, the deliverer, but he's Jesus, the Christ. He's the anointed one that fulfills all the Old Testament prophecy. The anointed one, he is the king. I mean, he's the Messiah. He's the one that reigns and rules, and that's why he's Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is supreme. Let me remind you that that we must share the gospel. Sometimes we can share the need for the gospel, the benefits of the gospel, and never preach the gospel. I mean, never just preach the simplicity of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins because we are sinners, and that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law because he's righteous and we are not. But Jesus Christ, though buried, rose again, conquering sin and death, and can be your own Lord and Savior. Sometimes we just need to share those 20 seconds. Just preach the gospel. Because we're just, we ourselves are just servants, are slaves of the gospel. God shined in our hearts and we're just his servants. I mean, later on in the context, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. It's just like God so worked in us and coming judgment is so real. I just want to be motivated to preach Jesus as much as I can in whatever context God calls me. And guess what God's called me to? And I think till I die is Utah. I just want to preach Jesus here. But then he says in verse 20 of chapter 5, 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ. You know, this is such a comfort, an ambassador. Like, we've been, all sorts of diplomacy is going on right now. And the United States is sending out their ambassadors to different countries. And you know what the ambassadors do? They just, they, they, they function as an official mouthpiece of the United States of America. And, and you know what? They're not coming up with their own message. They're just repeating what, whatever the ruler says. Can I, can I tell you something? We're not coming up with our own message. We're just ambassadors for Christ. And then listen what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.20. God making his appeal through us. And then he goes, we implore you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know what? It would be a miss for me to preach about the sufficiency of Jesus without me doing what it says right there in 2 Corinthians 5.20. I'm just an ambassador for Christ. You know what? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to this earth. He lived sinless. He lived perfect. He died on the cross for my sin. He died on the cross for the sins and the law so that I broke. But Jesus Christ was buried because the wages of sin is death. He stays in the grave three days as a means for all of us to know that he really was dead but on the third day he rose again from the dead he conquered sin and the wages of sin which is death and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God ready to make intercession for any of those who would put their faith and trust in him alone as their salvation and I just plead with you be reconciled to God there's a great missionary in Albania and the Lord has just worked in him, used him in such a great way Albania is a unique country it was under communistic rule, so there's a whole strain. About 20% of the country is atheist, um, but about 50% of the country is, is Muslim because there was Islamification of Al Albania from uh, the Byzantine Empire. And then there's about 20% would be broad Christian. Most would not have a relationship with God. It would just be kind of a, a social construct type of Christianity. And this guy, his name is David Hasafluk, he's in this country, and God's used him. And they, ups and downs, at the time of my friend, other friend videoing him, the church was only two, two churches, and then it grew up to seven, and then there was uh, just a terrible thing that happened and, uh, in the country, and then it reduced back down to two, and they're back growing again. But, he, like, it, it's just an amazing thing. They're seeing people come to know Jesus Christ, their own personal Savior, in Albania. And a friend of ours, a uh, mutual friend of Danny and I's, was filming him, and it's like, he goes, so, and the, and the guy filming, he's like, so what's your strategy in Albania? You know, it's like, what's the secret sauce, right? And he, he didn't mean that, but it's, that's, that's how we are as Americans, right? So, so how did you see churches grow in Utah? Or how did you see churches grow in X, Y, Z? And, and uh, uh, David Hasselfluke, he just goes, well, I, I wake up, <laughs> I pray, and I tell people about Jesus. What else can we do? Wake up. That's a good start for some of us. Pray and tell people about Jesus. I grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho. Uh, it's a similar context to Utah. Do you know that I've seen more people come to accept Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior out of a Utah context in the last couple years than all the years before? Last fall, we surveyed a bunch of churches, and I'm sitting down with pastors, and these pastors are saying, man, this was... COVID was terrible to be a pastor. But then they said, but we've seen more people come to Christ than any other time in their entire ministry here in Utah. Gospel hope. Wake up. 
pray. Tell people about Jesus. And all God's people say,